two, one, roll the footage. Welcome back everybody, I'm Simon Severino, your host. Today my guest, she helps women business owners who are experts in their fields fine-tune their operations and scale their revenue for strategic growth. She raised three fantastic kids, all of whom have launched their careers and also work in her company. She basically raised her own workforce. And we will explore her secret ingredient by going deep into the good news and the bad news about building value, how to think about your pricing from a whole new angle, and how building value impacts your sales. Welcome, everybody, Patty Block. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So cool to have you here. And Patty, what are you currently creating? A community, a community of women business owners who are experts in their fields. And it's around a program that I have called the Revenue Roundtable. And everything that I do focuses on helping women generate more revenue with less stress. Oh, that sounds good. And um, tell us uh, some current uh, obstacles that women face when they come to you and, and what happens then in the process. When I was growing up, my mom used to make these fabulous cookies. The whole house smelled good. It was warm. The cookies were gooey. I mean, you can just imagine, right? I and can smell it. Exactly. It makes your mouth water. And as I was growing up, I watched my mom eat the broken cookies. But it didn't occur to me to even ask her until I was a teenager, Mom, why do you only eat the broken cookies? Do they taste better? And she laughed and said, no, I eat the broken cookies so you can have the whole ones. And not too long ago, I saw this really startling statistic. 62% of women rely on their businesses for their primary income. 88% of those businesses make less than $100,000 a year. And I started connecting the dots and thinking, why is it that women are experiencing specific challenges. And I've been doing this type of work for about 15 years. So I've seen how pervasive it is that we are bringing that spirit of self-sacrifice into our businesses. And we're putting everyone else first, our staff, our families, our clients, of course, and we live on crumbs. I call this the broken cookie effect. And the challenge is because our role models always put others first, so do we. And that means we're often undervaluing ourselves, underpricing our services and keeping our businesses artificially small. And that is impacting everyone around us. So that is probably the single biggest challenge. And what I teach in addition to helping women generate more revenue, it's really about stepping into your power and understanding how you can run your business in a way that is less painful and much more effective. I was thinking today about guilt feeling, my own guilt feeling, because like you, I have three kids. And so in every moment of the day, I have the feeling that I'm not giving enough 
because I have to say no to, to somebody at some point. No, I cannot do this. I'm playing this. I cannot do this, right? And, um, and so guilt feeling is always here and always present. What, what is this thing and how, how can we get that in, in, under control? What can we do with it? Guilt is a huge issue. As you mentioned, it is for everybody. I think it's part of the human condition. But it's even more pronounced for women because, and especially around money, because we often feel greedy in addition to guilty. We feel as though I shouldn't charge this amount or my client can't afford it or I need to give them a discount. We give discounts to people who don't even ask for it. So, and again, my clients are experts, so they have spent their careers getting highly educated, tons of experience, and yet when it comes to pricing and money, they feel guilty, they feel greedy, and it, again, keeps that, uh, it's almost like having a glass ceiling that isn't really there, because there is no glass ceiling in your business, and yet we still act like there is. So that guilt issue is a big one. I think some of it comes from our religious upbringing and some of it comes from wanting to be part of a community. And I think for me personally, I want to follow the standards of a particular community. So whichever one I'm involved in, I want to fit in. And I think we all do. And because of that, we work really hard to follow the rules to add value and all of those things are admirable but i think we're not dealing with the underlying guilt that we're also feeling and, and there is a paradox right when when we want to be part of something and and we start with with giving too much actually then there is the paradox that we will we will not get it and uh, and we will feel frustrated yes or we'll experience some kind of rejection mm. which of course happens all the time in sales and the challenge is then separating out what's personal and what's not and especially in a sales conversation it's not personal and it's not uh again we take things very personally but that works to our detriment because Everyone is very focused on themselves and their businesses. They're not doing things purposely to hurt you as a business owner. And that's something we have to kind of get used to and accept so that we can modulate that guilt. I see many entrepreneurs when they say their price, they go, oh, well, this is my offer. And then they say the price and the price is it's 441. And, and or they say the price and yeah it's forty one thousand, but you know it comes with this bonus and da, 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 da. so they start defending themselves, and I I have the same feeling when I say the price, I then say to myself and now shut up. <laughs> yes, so do you know the acronym WAIT, W A I T? Why am I still talking? Right. So and so instead of telling myself to be quiet, I ask myself the question, why am I still talking? So the you're absolutely right. Our inner voice and what I call head trash or negative self-talk 
that undermines what we're doing. And the more confident you can feel and be when you're talking about your pricing and how you've built value, because in that conversation, you're building the perceived value in the mind of your buyer. So I often talk about pricing, effective pricing is not about, quote, what you're worth, because it's not about you as a person. It's about the services you're providing. So because of that, we need to separate out. It's not about what you're worth, but what it is, which gives you more control, is that you can build that perceived value in the mind of your buyer. And I talk a lot about ideal buyer versus ideal client, because they have to be an ideal buyer first. And then you're going to help them become an ideal client. That doesn't happen by accident. So again, that confidence that you bring to talking about the service you're selling, perhaps the product and the pricing, that drives what the buyer believes. And you have, I mean, the good news is you have the ability to build that perceived value. Why am I still talking? That's a great intervention. And I think in, in many moments in life, not just in the sales situation, I was thinking of many moments where I'm, why am I still talking? <laughs> Beautiful. And you say there is good news and bad news about building value. Tell us more. Sure. So the good news, I always like to start with the good news. The good news is you have control. You have more control than you think you do. And as you you know, everyone talks about the buyer's journey. And I think of that a little bit differently than most people. I help my clients develop a path for the, the buyer and a path for themselves. And when they do that, they're actually guiding the buyer in a very strategic way, building value, that perceived value I mentioned. And also it builds the confidence of my clients because they go into it with a strategy. They're no longer guessing, they're no longer winging it. And the, the outcomes are so much better. But the bad news, if there is bad news, is that building value, people often misunderstand it. And they think it's about convincing someone, and it's not. Uh, if you look at this from a human standpoint, from a psychology standpoint, it's about revealing to your buyer all the value that you bring. And I'll give you an example. So often we forget about the value of our network. However, if I'm working with a client and I can recommend a resource to solve a specific problem, like I'm not a marketing guru, by any stretch of the imagination. So if my client is looking for a specific resource for marketing, I can connect them with several different people. Because I know my clients so well, I know the type of person they want to work with. There is tremendous value in that. But because I've already vetted those resources, I know them personally, I trust them, and I don't accept or pay any referral fees. Because I believe there's benefit to everybody when we help each other. Well, that's part of the value that I bring. 
But if I don't talk about that, my buyer is not going to know. So the bad news is I think there's a real misunderstanding about how we talk about our value. That's interesting because we all kind of share our network and 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 as you say there is value in that there is even a monetary value we can choose even to monetize it or to not monetize it and that makes a difference um the second thing is how to think about your pricing from a whole new angle what's the new angle so part of it is value i have a program called value driven pricing and but the other and again this is to the women in your audience if you have the ability to price your own products and services products are relatively easy because there's a supply chain and you know what your costs are when you're an expert in your field and you're selling a service it's often we're guessing and women are guessing wrong cookie and alarm not, <laughs> yes we're not taking into account the real value that we bring. We're very focused on the hours. A lot of women experts are still stuck on hourly billing because that's what we were taught. A lot of my clients come out of corporate and that is very much what they're taught, especially if they're accountants or attorneys. And so you have to crack the code around the hourly model to understand that you're not selling your time, you're selling your expertise and the value of your network and the value of the insights and experience that you have so there's so much wrapped up in that and that's what i mean by looking at it from a whole new angle is not only philosophically how do you look at it but then how do you calculate and that's what i teach is the calculation is easy once you grasp looking at this in a whole new way and i guess the problem is when you insert value that you have to get clear on what the value is right and this is what corporate people really don't have because they basically do a ton of meetings but what's the benefit what are you moving for the clients oh the client is so far away i don't even know what am i moving for the client but when you are now on your own you have to say okay i help you save time or i help you make money and part of that is is what of that value is what i keep and you have to pay up front and uh, and that's the price what yes I okay <laughs> yes and you know part of that it also is when you are providing a service the buyer doesn't really know what they need very very often and so what i recommend to my clients is sell them what they want. So for example, if I'm looking for a marketing expert and I go to them, I say this is what I say. Here's what I want. I want a really effective marketing campaign. I want it to be easy, seamless. I don't want to learn how to do this. I want you to do it for me and I need to reduce the amount of time it takes me to do this. So can you develop a campaign that does that meets all those criteria and is very cost effective? And if they can do that, I have no idea what I need or what that campaign is going to look like, but I do know what I want. So if someone sells me what I want, which is what we all do, you you have to, 
then, then once I start working with them, I can help them understand what they need because I see things they may not. And that will be true of a vendor that I hire, let's say a marketing expert. Then they can help me understand what I need and why I need it. That's powerful. And uh, so we can be aware, what do they want? What do they need? Beautiful. And um, I'm so curious who you pick for the strategy award after one word from our sponsor. Hey, if you like the tools, go grab them for free at strategysprints.com slash tools. When everybody's zigging, this person is zagging, but from your perspective, they're doing the right thing. Who do you pick? I pick Michael Roderick. Why? Michael has a way of thinking and a way of teaching that is very unique in my opinion. And I have learned so much from Michael. I've taken many of his programs. I have developed all kinds of, um, it, it helps me think in a different way about how to use language and words in particular. I mean, he teaches a wide range of, of topics, but a lot of it is centered around the use of language. And understanding that how powerful stories are, for example, the broken cookie effect is a really good example of that, that I had started to develop, but it was like a kernel of an idea and was able to really fully develop that in one of Michael's programs. So I think Michael is zigging when everyone else is zagging and the way he teaches is very accessible. And is that the cookie jar right there? It is. It is. That is my signature cookie jar. And there's a funny story about it that as I started telling, expanding my audience and telling more people about the broken cookie effect, and it was really resonating with my audience of women business owners, I started hearing stories. I heard mom stories, I heard cookie stories, and I heard cookie jar stories. And for me, JAR stands for Justified Additional Revenue. And, and so it, it really is interesting how many people collect cookie jars. There's an entire industry around this. So someone said to me, you really need to have a signature cookie jar. And I went online and I found this in about three minutes. So my last name is Block. This has blocks across it. And believe it or not, those are my logo colors. So I saw that cookie jar and fell in love with it. And so, yes, that is my signature cookie jar. And the other thing I'll add is that my dad passed away about eight years ago. And he was an orthopedic surgeon and his hobby was woodworking. So my home, so the, the items that you see on the other side of, of my shoulder are items that my dad made. And my home is filled with the beautiful artwork that he made. And that's true of everyone in my family. We all have some art that he has made for us. So it's funny, I kind of felt like I was cheating on my dad when I bought art from a different woodworker. But I also knew that the quality of this art is so extraordinary, how much my dad would appreciate the quality of this cookie jar. 
And uh, I'm curious, are there specific books or podcasts that inspire you? So, you know, I, I've thought a little bit about this question because I've been asked that on other interviews and I read to escape. I love to read and I read historical fiction. I read biographies. I'm reading Mel Brooks biography right now. If you know who Mel Brooks is, he's a very famous comedian and, and movie maker. And those things do inspire me because they help me be more creative and to think more creatively. So there are business books that I occasionally read, but for the most part, I'm really focused on fiction. And I think that's because it unleashes that it, my imagination. I read a lot of science fiction, which also helps me think more futuristically. What are the trends? What's going to be happening in the small business community over the next 10 and 20 years? So all of those things help me be more creative. If there's one book that I would pick out in particular, it's All I Learned, All I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten by Robert Fulgham. And my brother gave me that book many, many years ago. I think it was published in 1986. And it was also when I was starting my family. So it really fit with raising my children. And my goal was always raise good human beings. And I've been a single mom since my youngest was two, and he's now turning 30. So I've raised the kids myself, and it's been It's been a somewhat difficult journey, but a wonderful outcome. And I'm so proud of my kids. And they're all three now business owners. And I help them with their business and they help me with mine. So all I learned in, all I need to know that I learned in kindergarten is a really great book about how you treat others and about kindness and about sharing your value. And I didn't recognize that at the time when I first read it, but I recognize it now. It's all about value. And it's beautiful. And I, I wrote it down. Uh, all I need to know, I learned in kindergarten, because it's, it's decades that I'm doing this joke on, on stages that I say, you don't need to learn anything. Everything, everything that you need to learn, you did learn in kindergarten. And that's doing stuff with your hands, playing with others because you need cooperation skills when you play with others. You need to say, hey, wanna, you want to play? And uh, and you need to do stuff and then in, invent well, the game, right? And so, and I think that that is 80% of what every everybody needs to learn in life. And the rest is just, you know, keep doing it. And it, it, it was half a joke, but I, I mean it. <laughs> I mean it. And uh, so I'm going to read the book. Wonderful. It's well worth your time. And again, it's interesting because when I first read it, I had a particular filter. And as a new mom, as a, you know, thinking that it was literal, it's literally about kindergarten. And it, it's so much more than that. So now when I read it, I, I have a different filter. And I understand the depth of what he's talking about. Beautiful. And uh, and so, tell us some some current um, situations of people working with you and how you help them get get un unstuck. Sure. 
So one of the challenges, as we've talked about earlier, is mindset. And we believe what we believe, we think what we think, and we remember what we've been taught. And one of the huge challenges is that a lot of us came out of this corporate model that was developed 150 years ago by men. It never worked for women. It sure doesn't work for women today. And you see all of the, the information out there about pay parity, about women serving on boards, about how women can succeed in the business world. And my personal experience in a prior life, I was a political consultant and a lobbyist. And I had two choices if I wanted to fit in to that community, which I talked about earlier, and if I wanted to be effective and really succeed as a lobbyist in particular. I had two choices. I could position myself as a sex symbol with short skirts and low blouses, or I could position myself as one of the guys. There was nothing in between. And for my problem was I was commuting. I was, uh, so I live in Texas and in Houston and our state capital is in Austin. So I would be driving back and forth between Houston and Austin for my lobbying responsibilities. And I was an independent lobbyist. So I picked the people I wanted to work with. And the challenge was that a lot of the deals were made on the golf course or the strip clubs. I'm a young mother. I'm not, I don't play golf. I'm not going into a strip club. I'm not there when some of those deals are being made. And it's affecting millions of people across Texas. So what choices do I have to be an effective lobbyist? And it was a huge, huge challenge for me. And I was not comfortable to be a sex symbol and I was not comfortable to be one of the guys. So I did have to work the system and figure out where I fit and how I could be effective. So that is very common for women in the corporate world. We have a choice, but often it's one or the other, and there's very little in between. So I'm really gratified and happy to see that there are significant changes happening. But I will tell you, it's been a long time coming because you know, 150 years, that's kind of disgraceful. And even now, women don't have pay parity. And, and the executive women are doing a better job at getting pay parity of understanding their own value and asking for those, that salary or those benefits. But mid-range managers and entry-level people especially women, we have a long way to go. And, and that's true of people of color, of any group that has not been setting up the system is at a disadvantage. And again, I think we've made some improvements, but we still have work to do. The good news is that model is over. It was built for the industrial age. The industrial age is over. The model is still here, but it's crumbling. People are not getting back to those places. The great resignation. And there are so many 
cool, decentral, inclusive models that are much more flexible and where people can really be like they are. That's the cool news, right? It's 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 breaking up and it's it's moving forward, and there is more more freedom and more uh, creativity now. And um, yeah, it, it it also didn't work for men. That model was not just not working for human beings in general, right? It's it's broken. It's broken everywhere. That's right, and I agree with that. It wasn't working for anyone. And the companies that are stuck in that model will, as you mentioned, they'll at some point fall apart. They're, they're getting surpassed right now by software that's doing a better job <laughs> in bringing people together right now <laughs> than, than some places. <laughs> that's right. And um, this was so cool. I learned so much and I, I got even a new book that I want to read. That's beautiful. Is there anything that I forgot to ask you, Patty? Well, I'd like to offer your audience a resource. And again, this is designed for women business owners, but anyone is welcome to take a free quiz that I offer. And if you go to my website at theblockgroup.net, there's a link for my Revenue Roadblocks quiz. And what that does is when you go through the quiz, it will highlight for you areas where you may be stuck, especially when it comes to generating revenue. And then you'll get a report that will outline that for you and some places where you can start to make changes. So I would encourage your audience to take the Revenue Roadblocks quiz at theblockgroup.net. Perfect. And I will print a t-shirt for, for myself. Why am I still talking? So that I see it when, when I'm talking. <laughs> And uh, and where can people find you? Where do you hang out? So I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. And if you choose to connect with me, please send me a note that you heard me on this program so that I can make that mental connection. And also, you're welcome to go to my website at theblockgroup.net. You can connect with me there. I also have a free white paper that uh, really outlines how you can beat the broken cookie effect. The broken cookie effect, everybody. Great story. Easy to remember. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Patty. And who should be my next guest? Oh, I think you should interview Michael Roderick. Yeah. And let's see what happens then. You came out with the, with the cookie metaphor out of that. Let's see what happens from that conversations. I'm excited. Exactly. Well, Michael always has clever, interesting information and ways of looking at things. So you won't be disappointed. I'm, I'm so glad that you came onto the show and shared your journey, your wisdom, um, your cookies and everything with us. Uh, thank you, Betty. Please come back soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, if you love what you are hearing, you will love our free masterclasses. Go grab them at strategiesprints.com. Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one -on -one Sprint Coach. We double your revenue in 90 days.